Señores y señoras, nosotros tenemos más influencia con sus hijos que tú tienes. Pero los queremos. Creado y regado de Los Ángeles. Juana's Adicción. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, first of all, I should probably give you guys an update. Uh, yeah, my dad passed away last week from the coronavirus. It was not expected. Three weeks earlier, he was completely fine and now he's gone. He died on the 30th of December and it's just been a whirlwind. Couple of weeks, did not expect to be spending the holidays this way. So many of you have reached out and have expressed concern and love. Uh, I'm just so grateful. And I hate to kick off Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addictions episode this way, but I know that a lot of you have checked in to see how we're doing and I want to give you an update. Now, having said that, our guest this week is Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction, which is great. I want to kick the year off with a really big one. Uh, Stephen, as you'll find, just is full of passion and good vibes. What else would you expect from a member of Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros, just full of good vibes, talks about drumming, talks about his approach to drumming, his philosophy of working with other people. We get into all the albums, we get into some of the songs. It's just, it's nice to hear from a guy as positive as Steven. And I get into some of the, you know, the the underbelly of James, some of the dysfunction and stuff like that. But you, you'll see, Steven's just all positivity. It's beautiful. Uh, I have to give a huge thank you to Brian Morris, one of our listeners. Brian hooked me up with Stephen, I don't know, three years ago? It took forever for this to happen, but it finally did. And so thank you, Brian, for being so persistent and for helping us get somebody as wonderful as Stephen. I'm a huge James fan. I think they, met, they might be one of the most influential bands of the last 35 years. They are certainly, in my opinion, the bridge between 80s alternative rock and 90s alternative rock just as Nirvana is bringing that underground alternative sound to the forefront, Jane's is the bridge that makes that all happen, in my opinion. Anyway, I love Steven. I love all of you. Thanks, everybody, for looking out for me these last couple of weeks. Uh, Steven called me from his home in Southern California. Okay, so I want, to ta- I want to ask you about, you know, how you got into drumming and what your influences were, because Jane's was so unique at that time. But for starters, I am curious... What does Stephen Perkins do every day? Because if Jane's Addiction or po- Porno or whatever aren't the, I don't know, if they're not your primary focus or, or motivation, 
what does Stephen Perkins do when he wakes up in the morning? What's his responsibility? Well, I think routine is important. Okay. And before COVID, I would have three or four nights a week of gigging. And, you know, to be honest, three or four nights a month is not enough for me because drumming is not only my, you know, way to express my inner emotions, but I'm an athlete. Mm. I need to play and keep that endurance up and keep the body moving. Just like any athlete, if you ignore it for too long, you somehow get just disconnected between mind, body, and soul. So there's always that connect that I'm looking for. And so I do wake up and I exercise. I get behind the drum kit. I eat right. I hydrate. I think about positive waves and influence and things I can do through the day because with all this negativity coming at us, yeah, uh, it's almost like those great moments in life go by so quickly yeah. and the, and the dark ones seep in real slow and they stay there. I'm always trying to flip that. True. So let those good moments seep in and really kind of just make an impression on me and let the dark ones kind of go by like a cloud. So uh, I guess my goal is to kind of reverse what, what our, our bodies and our soul kind of normally absorbs, you know, to me, the MC Escher, who has the white ducks and the black ducks, and they go right off the page in a pattern. You know, it really doesn't matter which duck you're seeing or not seeing, but they go together and it's a puzzle. Yeah. So life, life really is that puzzle. It all depends on what you see and how you, how you feel it and let it go into you. Now, my, my, ten year, my 10 year old son just started school last week online. Yeah. So the routine is now a lot different because he's online from 8.30 to 2.30 with a few breaks. But over the summer, it was uh, wake up and figure out what we could do to keep busy and happy. He plays guitar. We play basketball, scoot, ride our bikes, nice. all that kind of cool stuff. And I think in years from now, looking back, it's going to be a great time that me and my son bonded over this terrible 2020 summer we had. Yeah. But yeah. we did have a lot of time together. Unfortunately, right. he didn't get to hang with his friends. Yeah. But I'll be 53 in uh, September 13th. Okay. So uh, I'm trying to act like a 10-year-old, but still, you know, still be a father. Of course. So the routine is look after myself as far as what I put in my body mm-hmm. and, and keep this energy flow going yeah. with my creativity and my physical side. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I get behind the drum kit, I think just endurance and play hard for an hour and sweat. Sometimes I think just be creative and pick up some brushes or mallets Mm -hmm. and trying to find some textures out of the drum set. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes I'll just put on, you know, my favorite who record and and just thrash around to the who for a couple hours. Yeah. So it's all a a certain kind of ingredients that I put together, but I try not to repeat everything over and over because you don't want to feel that, Uh you know, like you're replicating yesterday and tomorrow is the same. You do want... You want new inspiration. Totally. You know, That's stasis. And, and I think, you know, as a youngster, jazz music and jazz drummers had that conversation with other musicians. And drummers need that. Mm-hmm. You need to, you know, call and response off each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been tough not having that in a personal relationship with someone else in the room. Mm-hmm. But I do do a lot of sessions here when people send Good. me files and you know percussion overdubs or a full drum set or try to replicate what they sent me if it's a cool demo or come up with something on my own 
Right. And that gives me a responsibility, a goal. Sure. You know, because sometimes these days just kind of start to blend. And, you know, it it really can kind of numb you that you are, you know, responsible for growing. It's hard to keep growing. And, you know, when I was a young man playing drums, I was always curious about other bands, other drummers, Indian music, African music, Latin music, you know, of course, progressive rock, hard rock, and all I would always gather. But as you get older, you got to kind of stimulate that, that curiosity yeah. and, and search out that stuff. And sometimes I'll even find some music that I don't particularly like and see if I can play drums to it and see what that does Ooh. See what that does to me. Yeah, yeah. See what it does to me. And even if it sends me in a direction I'm not ready for or don't want to go, yeah. it, will, it will awaken something. Yeah. And, and it'll show your strengths and your weaknesses and what you need to work on. Right. You know? That's I mean, interesting. Like any, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it's, that reminds me a little bit of what happens to me often since starting the podcast about five years ago. Is that all, for instance, when I, when I go back and listen to all of your music to get ready to talk to you, I'm, I'm acutely, keenly keyed in to what you specifically are doing because you're who I'm going to talk to. And the music sounds so different all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. Songs that I may not have been paying attention to before are suddenly like, wow, Stephen is amazing on this. Oh, and I remember it so specifically, I had Bruce Thomas on here from mm. Elvis Costello and the Attractions. And uh, I like Elvis Costello, but I've never listened to all that music just focusing on what Bruce was doing on his bass. And it changes everything. And you realize how great he is, and you weren't picking up on it before. So anyway, I can see what you mean about that exercise of, uh, you know, trying to think, even putting on music that you don't like and just hearing it in a new way and seeing what you can do with it. It changes all the molecules. Actually, you know, when I was just starting... I wanted to be a jazz drummer, but no one in my neighborhood was playing saxophone or piano or trumpet or upright bass. Right. Everyone was playing hard rock music. And I love hard rock music, but it is more about the volume and the pulse and less conversation, kind of like a Motown drummer. It doesn't converse much. He just keeps that anchor. So, you know, your environment and who you have a chance to grab onto and, and play music with is going to change how you play and how you yeah. hear music. And just like a tennis player, you need someone to play with, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you, and you don't want someone who can't handle your serve because then you have no rally. Right. So you you want to find players that are, are better than you, hopefully, yeah. and they can challenge yeah. you. Exactly. And so that's always a great quest. And that always changes my perspective on, on how to approach the, the music and the instrument. You know, from yeah. age eight to 12, I played on a pillow. Yeah. And I was just learning how to get the surface of bouncing right. off a pillow. And, and then I got a, a snare drum. And then, okay, there's a new surface to bounce off and a different yeah. way to use my technique. Then a drum set. Now it's about my whole body, right. and my ankles and my feet, and my wrists. Right. And then I start meeting musicians and then they bring their amps in the room. Then it's about volume and punch. Mm-hmm. So different experiences will change the way I play. And then joining right. the marching band. Right. And 10, 10, 15 other drummers trying to replicate each other and make it exact and, and disciplined. And that was a new experience. It, it changed the way I played. So there's these constant different tiers that I keep sure. climbing and yeah. I keep looking, I keep looking for those, you know, and yeah. it is who you play with, what you listen to. And also, you know, what you think as far as rhythm, just like the MC Escher, it's not when you hit, it's mm. when you don't hit, mm. you need both yeah, to make the rhythm. True. 
And so it's about choices. You know, you keep your chops up, you, you keep your technique up and your endurance, right. but then you have a choice when or when not to, to machine gun everybody mm-hmm. or just hit them with one, you know, right. one simple note. Right. So that awareness and, and, you know, when you practice, just like an athlete, you practice, you practice hard, but when you're in a game, you go for it hard and it's different than practice. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with a drummer. I can practice alone or with other musicians, but when you get on stage or you're doing a session and that light goes on and you're recording, something else kicks in. Yeah. And I'm always searching to keep that level mm-hmm. of, even if I'm at practice, that level of perfection, if I can reach I can my potential, it. you know, yeah. somehow. When I was uh, getting ready to talk to you, I was reading a lot of interviews and articles and stuff like that. And one of the things that really caught my eye was you were saying that one of the reasons why Jane's especially has these stops and starts is it sounds like from you anyway, you, you and the rest of the band can't fake it. You can't do these shows and go through the motions, which is what, you know, when that's your career, you too. I love you too. I'm not saying they go through the motions, but they're on a constant cycle of doing these things year after year, but it sounds like you have to be feeling it a hundred percent or else it's just not, not worth it for you. Well, it's true. I, I, I envy the bands like the Chili Peppers, Metallica, U2, et cetera, right. that go month after month, year after year. But also there is something that we have to pay attention to in Jane's Addiction and we don't ever want to be fraudulent and we don't want to fake it even if the money's on the table. When Perry says three, four, and smash, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels right about 100% of the time, but you want that to happen the whole time and the whole yeah. show and every bus ride and every flight. And of course, that's the goal is always yeah. to have a good time with your friends. Yeah. And the, the audience members get the better show when yeah. the band is in, in tune with each other true, and, true. and united. Yeah. And so there has been that work ethic of, of stop and go when, you know what? let's not go through the motions and just do it again this summer with so-and-so bands. Let's right. wait till it feels right. Good. And, and, you know, Jane's addiction wrote a lot of the songs in a garage with our instruments and we played and we practiced and we fine tuned and we, we felt, you know, these moments about the poems, mm-hmm. you know, Perry would never do verse, chorus, verse, chorus. He'd have a poem. Some yeah. of the songs don't have choruses, you know, and they just true. like stop. You know, yeah. and it's just a mountain song. There's no real chorus. It's just a song and we're supporting it with the music.
with Corner for Pyros, we, lot, we wrote a lot of the songs on camping trips with uh, a bongo and an acoustic guitar around a uh, fire, not with our instruments on plugged in. Uh, and so the music and the environment changed because of what we were doing with our day together. Yeah. And I think that's always very important to realize where the music comes from, the intent, and to make sure that is in the moment so you're not giving the same show over and over. Right. And you're, 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 you know, you might be playing the same song you wrote in 1986, but you do want to, bring it to life and make it relevant again, lyrically, yeah. musically, with energy, you know? Let me ask you about that because um, one of the things I wanted to throw at you is kind of the story behind some of the, one of, some of your legendary songs, if you're comfortable sharing them. But one of my favorite songs of all that you have anything to do with is A Hundred Ways. talking about and i intended to ask you about the creation of that song but you talking about creating porno songs around a fire with bongos that song makes so much more sense to me now because it feels like an outlier of, you know when compared to everything else it's not any like anything else you guys do and yeah. but now i can see where that might have come from is that true yeah, the first record, the first Pono record was written kind of like what Janes would do in a room practicing with our instruments. The second record was mostly written on these trips to Fiji, Bali, nice. Mexico, you know, and, and we had a hundred ways, Bali eyes, Tahitian moon. Yeah.
and they all came from these these uh these day trips these weekend trips and they are love songs and they also are poems and we try to support the poem with the the emotion and the i guess the the sensitivity that any musician can connect with the lyrics i love reading lyrics and it's great to have a guy next to you that wrote them because i have my own interpretation and my own response and why it works for me and why i respond to it and then the guy that wrote it he or she can tell me what they actually meant and 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 i can take both of those Mm -hmm. and make it my own but with a hundred ways there's a a sense that things can grow and get better Mm. and that's what i that's what i was thinking about when we when we made the song and tried to respond to the lyrics with these Mm -hmm. rhythms and you know almost in a sense birds chirping and grass yes. growing and you know spring as springtime yes. and yes. and that's really important to you know i think the baseline the guitar riff the tempo is just as important as the the subject as yeah. the words you know and not yeah. even how he phrases them he or she but right. what they mean right. and i think jane's addiction's second half of ritual is this real is you can hear the growth of a band almost go progressive i mean i wouldn't Absolutely. say emerson laker and palmer or genesis or yes mm-hmm. but there is these these moments that are so different than hadadad and pigs and yeah. zen and, yeah. and idiots rule and it's really about embracing the the lyric and then she did is this song that is completely connected musically and lyrically with every moment with this emotion about losing his girlfriend and his mom I think porno really had these great friendships and you can hear that yeah and, you know me perry and peter de stefano we went through a lot of changes in porno the bass player martine he left we had flea and mike watt and david J from bauhaus they helped us finish that record right and we started to realize it was just the three of us these great times that we had yeah and if we can get these feelings of 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 a band traveling and, and trying new foods and meeting new mm-hmm. people and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and just kind of going for it, put right. that into the music. And yeah, I think that's what it takes. You know, I, I don't have regrets playing with anybody, but I don't like the moment where it doesn't feel like it's from the heart. Yeah. I could see even, that. Even if it's got technique sure. and, and, and power, if it's not felt, yeah. then, it, then, then it feels like, you know, there's no reason to do it. And, I, I went through many different ebbs and flows with my love of heavy metal music. Mm. 
and growing up with Sabbath and Deep Purple mm-hmm. and Zeppelin and then Metallica, but then Pantera mm-hmm. and, then Slip, and then Slipknot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just the sound. It's because yeah. they, they feel it. And they, they feel and it. They, That's it. Yeah. The intense yeah. there. And yeah. of course the chops and the, and the, and the, and the lyrics, everything is kind of just, you know, uh, in your face to the point where if you if you can't take it you know leave the room because yeah. that's what they're that's what they're going to give you right but it it's the the feeling i get i get hooked and sometimes as a drummer i have some it, it's the drum parts that kind of wake me up and then i could the music comes second like you mm-hmm. were saying mm-hmm. wow listen to what this drummer's doing how does yeah. his body do that i mean right. how does he, and then you start examining the rest of the music around it and you're like the music brought him to that point. Right, really. right. So let me ask you this. You you touched on this. I was going to bring it up. I mean, I think most people will will agree that Three Days is this magnum opus song, just epic, beautiful, all the things you said out of nowhere. talking about how the second half of ritual became this band kind of opening up their senses opening up their abilities taking on prog which i know what you mean by that it's not that the music is prog but your the band is progressing in ways that you hadn't done before what is the story of three days how did this song even come to be in the form that we know it today because it's a masterpiece thank you thank you well to me I see it as three or four different poems that really? needed, that needed music to caress it. Okay. And and the first poem is the first three minutes. Uh-huh. And there we are telling the story of how the night's going to open. Uh-huh. And then Perry starts singing, you know, True Hunting's Over. I heard tribal drums. Yeah. I, I heard the, the drums create uh-huh. the lyric and we, uh-huh. had, we had this mix. Uh-huh. And then the guitar solo of that beautiful great night that you have when the lights go out and you're with your love and it gets hot it gets cold it goes fast it goes slow it gets loud it gets soft and it's just you know embracing that great night that you that you'll never forget when you're with your favorite person yeah yeah and then and then perry's lyrics about erotic jesus and smash so it really was this this i guess marriage between poems and music and of course, the bass line. Eric writes these great melodic bass lines that are so hooky, but so simple. Yeah. And as a, when I met Eric, I was 17, maybe 16, and I was so into uh, flashy playing. Mm-hmm. 
And he, he turned me on to Bauhaus and Joy Division, Echo and the Bunnymen, Susie right. and the Banshees. He's like, listen to these players. They can do anything. But what they do is they find something and they stick to it. And they stick to their guns. And, right. and I really realized that with Eric, the power of a rhythm section. Yeah. And it wasn't about putting the bass drum where the bass guitar was. It was an interplay. Yeah. And, and that was where, you know, Jane's Addiction, I think Three Days was written at late night mm. sessions. We would rehearse from 11 p.m. to about 2 or 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I remember Three Days coming out of those rehearsal sessions. And you can hear... The after the after hours was uh, it a jam was it was it a did it take flight or blossom in the in the rehearsals and you guys thought i like it almost 11 minutes long let's leave it that way <laughs> or was it always intended to be what it ended up being well yeah the the song would stretch and shrink mm. through different performances mm -hmm. and by the time we got to recording ritual we've been on tour for months and months and months playing that song after the Nothing Shocking record. You know, Nothing Shocking with Ted Just Admit It. kind of tipping into that progressive moment where totally. we can tell the story and leave a piece of the music behind and never return to it. Yeah. And I think that was the joy of three days is to play each piece and not look back and always look yeah. forward. And like life itself, when you play music, you're not looking towards the end. Mm -hmm. You're in the moment. And I think mm -hmm. that's what, that what three days does. It's, we know there's going to be an end in 10 or 12 minutes and that'll be the climax, but let's not think about that. Let's enjoy right. what we're talking about and it be ultra aware in that jazz sense of the conversation between the players. Yeah. And, and, and there's a formula that says, you know, stick to the part, but let it evolve mm -hmm. and let's not be so rigid and let things kind of change as, the, as we play them. So one night might be nine minutes, one might be 10, 11, 12 minutes, you know? Sure. And, and I think, on, you know, when you're in the studio, you just want to capture the energy mm -hmm. and you want to capture that, that gusto, yeah. you know? But you also want to play great so you can listen to it over and over and over and not regret your performance, right. you know? Right. Right. But I, that's, I think, a, a combination of all the guys in the band wanting the same thing for this, this morning to dusk, you know, it, dawn to dusk feeling. The song wakes up, it stretches, yeah. it has its midday, 
and you know and then it it, it punches to the to the final you know yeah the finish that's beautiful line. that's beautiful so, yeah okay so you know i think playing it live just like then she did and ted just admitted it, it's an emotional connection mm-hmm. and it's it's not exhausting physically but it's exhausting to really do it right yeah and, and give it the attention it deserves and that's another thing you were saying we don't go on tour month after month after month and play these songs because we want them to be alive right and 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 you know in the moment and you don't right. want to start blurring what town are we in right yeah <laughs> you know that's that was never jane's and yeah i i really like knowing these uh, pillars of our relationship between the band and the audience mm-hmm. you know and something about playing the really really big shows changes the way we play because you've got other band members from other bands on the side of the stage watching Mm -hmm. people a hundred yards away in a bungee jump or a ferris Mm -hmm. wheel hearing the music (laughs) quite different than a small club when everyone's got their eyes on you and you got your eyes on them yeah and there's that intimate connection which is which is very powerful and potent yeah those those big shows really make you realize the power of music and the, and the actual sonic waves yeah. and where they're going. I, can I think see it benefits, it benefits the audience, you know, to have all these bands playing right. without a day and they're competitive too. Everybody wants yeah. to get. Oh, I believe it. Show. I believe it. I've seen you guys twice. They were both in the early two thousands. One was at shoreline amphitheater, probably around 2002, 2003. And it was, I think it was, October-ish, because it was a little chilly. You guys were the headliners, and stereo MCs were on the bill, and then someone else in between. I cannot remember who that was. Oh, maybe Goldie? Maybe was it Goldie? It, there were three three on the bill, and I liked all three, and I loved, you know, Connected by Stereo MCs. is such a great song. Yeah. And then I saw you guys a year or two later, and I want to say, it was at, I believe, the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium, mm. which is that big kind of warehouse almost. And I think you guys were headlining maybe a not-so-silent night Christmas thing or something. And I'm trying to remember who else was on the bill. I think it was The Offspring. Anyway, whatever it was, both those shows were just, they were amazing. I haven't seen you guys since in a long time. I hope I get to. I hope we all get to. My God. Well, yeah, I think we're all ready for music to heal again in person. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's been cool to see technology and music and arts kind of join forces and live streaming and and different ways to present it but there's nothing better than being in a room together or you know a football field or whatever it might be and jerry garcia said it when they flew into woodstock you don't see this many people together unless it's a battlefield yeah but look what music did yeah Yeah, look what music did it brought us together and like seeing a a rage against the machine concert a hundred thousand people jumping up and down together it's not easy to get you know for a school of fish or a flock of birds it happens but for people (laughs) you you know we need something to bring us together so true and 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 music does it you know and you know i can go to a museum and stare at a picasso for an hour Mm -hmm. and move over and look at the salvador dali piece yeah. And, and it'll change my perspective of real and surreal. Mm-hmm. And I think a great live show, be it punk rock or jazz or reggae, it does the same thing. People walk away feeling different yeah. and inspired, enlightened. Yeah. I also think when you, when you think about the great art that hangs in museums, you don't know what was happening outside the door of the, of the artist. It could have mm-hmm. been a terrible time, yeah. but they were so still true. doing their art. And so yeah. 
I guess now that the silver lining or the light at the end of this tunnel, you know, BC before COVID, everyone <laughs> was doing their thing. Now AC, I think people are going to try to figure out what, what it is that's yeah. most important. How do I spend my time and, and how Good do I point. get rid of and edit all the crap out? You know, Good point. life is so short. If you live it to a hundred years old, that's not that long. It really is. No. Um, so let me ask you this. If things going back to kind of the, you know, the stop and start nature of the band, if we were in normal times, would the summer of 2020 have been a time when Jane's addiction were feeling it or not feeling it? I think uh, we were going to start feeling it because okay. we, were, we were itching to play again, those songs. And we did yeah. something about a month ago for Lollapalooza. Porn of Papyros did like a outdoor lawn jam. Oh, nice. And then, oh, and then okay. James I didn't see went that. to his studio. Yeah. And Great. it was both of them felt like a B12 shot in my life. Good. I was like, this not only the friendships and the songs, but what people felt by us playing them. And I, I always knew that practicing alone as a kid, it was a lot of fun. But my friend came over and I showed him what I learned and to see their reaction. Yeah, that turns me on. Right. And right. that we had that feeling by playing the Jane's tunes, me looking at Dave, Dave looking at me and, and, and so on. Yeah. And there was this great energy that was yeah. missing for, for so long. Oh. So we do we do need to heal the world with the music. And like I said yeah. earlier, three, four, uh -huh. bam. <laughs> you know, it feels good. It, it feels like you're at yeah. bat and you just won the game, but everybody right. Everybody was just ready for you to do it and you did yeah. it. And it's a responsibility to do it great. Right. And and I even if there's a, a show that maybe they the band that you went to see wasn't as good as you expected, they were there and hopefully they, they left their heart and soul on the stage. Now if they didn't, shame on them. Right. But right. if they did, yeah. even if it didn't sound good, or even if it wasn't what you expected or the set list or the sequence of songs. Mm -hmm they were there doing it for you. And that's right. what I love about, you know, a, a great show. It's like, you're there in the same room as some of your favorite musicians and they're yeah. there to perform. It's the best. So speaking of which, let me ask you this, you know, Jane's Addiction are one of those bands like Nirvana or even Guns N' Roses who are legendary despite a relatively small canon of music. I mean, there's really only four major albums of Jane's Addictions and most people are really focused on the first two. I have to say, I love The Great Escape Artist. I think that is a fantastic Thank album. And you Thank sound you. so good on End to the Lies. You sit around there telling stories, taking chips for all past glories. I am the reflect that you wave. Uh, selling the half-truths, missing parts that you can't use.
that's just a major performance on your part. Thank but you. anyway, Thank you. so does this time off is part of the, you know, when you're feeling those vibes again of being around your buddies in person and the jazz nature of it all, does it inspire anyone to go write new Jane's music or is it just getting it going on? these days? It's not going to sell. You may not, you know, you may not you know, make any yeah, money off yeah. of it, but is it worth the, the, just the exercise of doing it or is it more just, we got to get back on stage? I think there's, there's a hundred percent both. Okay. We do need to get back on stage and play the songs that we all love. And we wrote 1986, mm -hmm. but lyrically and musically, they're still relevant. Mm -hmm. And the, the lyrics for stop are about the world going too fast and the environment imploding on us. The lyrics for no one's leaving is about racial justice with his family. So the lyrics and, and the music still there, Time. but, but absolutely we need to take what just happened through this world and what yeah. this world's going through and put it into a song, put it into a poem and a lyric and, and let that come back out. You know, in the fifties, rock and roll was rocking around the clock and splish splash in the bath and twisting. <laughs> it wasn't really until the sixties in Vietnam where American rock music had something to say with the end by the doors, machine gun by Hendrix. And there was something to say because their friends were being shipped off to Vietnam and not coming home. Yeah. Now, post WW2 in England, their towns were still in rubble. And yeah. that's, you hear that in Cream and in Sabbath and in Zeppelin. And you hear the, the destruction is still so close to heart. Yeah. But there was this fantasy in America with their Cadillacs and dishwashers and the music it was cool. I love rocking around the clock, sure. but there was, it wasn't, you know, deep into the pocket of pain. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, these, these blues that we're going through is just going to make some great film, novel, yeah. music, art altogether. I think you're right. And I think Jane's Addiction should be. You should contribute um, to that. I, I, need I your mean, voice. Could, yeah, we have to. And, yeah. and what I feel now, this focus and, and this sharpness I have about keeping myself mm -hmm. self ready and healthy. So when they do call, I can give it to somebody the best I possibly can. Good, and, good. And I never want to live on 1991 or 1986. I love talking about it. Yeah. But I do, I love putting my relationship with the audience on a, a, a reputation scale. Mm -hmm. How good is he tonight? 
yeah. what what does he do today? Because that's right. that's important, you know. And yeah. and you know, an athlete sometimes has to hang up his cleats and his bat, mm -hmm. but a musician really doesn't. No, nope. you can just get better. That's and, true. And and it's and of course, if you keep your health up and your chops and your your fingers and your mind, it's timeless. Yeah. And and my favorite musicians could be fourteen. 44 or 104, <laughs> it, you know, true. it's just, I want to hear what they're doing. Yeah. So, okay. Let me ask you, I'm just going to ask you a point blank question. Cause you've talked a lot about your health and your happiness. Are you clean these days? And if you are, how, how long have you been clean? I was never a hard partier in any sense. Oh, okay. I thought maybe no. I'll get <laughs> to this me. more later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not me, but I mean, to me, if, if you can have a beer or smoke one, Sure. And get on with your day that's great okay but if it, if it if it slows down that that chase to get your potential your best out of you yeah you know that's that's a waste of time and yeah. and i i don't i don't see my ideas working for anybody else or their ideas working for me mm -hmm. but i know when i get behind the drum set it's a loud violent experience to mm -hmm. give yourself to the drums and hit mm -hmm. things and you do have to be in the right mindset for that. Yeah. And I, I really love watching a video of my band or just me playing and seeing, how did my body do that? Right. <laughs> what did I, no wonder my neck hurts in my lower back, but, but you know, but it's cool because yeah. in the moment you don't think yeah. that way and you give it all and, yeah. and you don't, you're not embarrassed to make funny faces and hit things and yeah. just, just go for it. And yeah. I think that kind of freedom, you know, can be found with music and art. And of course it's, it's nice to de-stress uh -huh. and you have to, yeah. and everyone's got their own way. Uh, today I already got on my treadmill for 6,000 steps Ooh. and just thought, it's a little hot here in Los Angeles this weekend. So I wanted to get myself, you know, get myself sweating without getting, uh -huh. you know, sunburnt. Uh -huh. But after I did the 6,000 steps, I was awake and ready to play drums, nice. you know, and not to say Good I wasn't you. prior, but it right. does, it wakes it you helps. up. Yeah. It does. And I, I really think that everyone's got their own routine, their own rhythm. And, and when you fall out of rhythm, it's yeah. sometimes it's hard to get back into it, but you know, like anything, uh, a comedian has got rhythm. Sure. Uh, someone rolling All artistic cigar. people yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rolling, creative yeah, people, roll. yeah. You gotta, so, you you're know. touched by the muse or you're not, you know? And you gotta ride that. Yeah. I, um, I remember, uh, the reason I was asking that is because I remember reading an article, I think it was in Rolling Stone about you guys early on. And I'm a, I'm a young Mormon kid in Salt Lake City, Utah. And was I was kind of frightened. It almost gave me nightmares. Just imagining <laughs> the layers of like darkness and drugginess and spookiness and otherworldly parts of life that are just not in my reality at all. And I just remember thinking, man, that seems like a really scary, dark place to live. But you're obviously such a really hyper positive guy now. So I'm wondering what about Stephen Perkins' life today is still the most Jane's like, and what would be completely different? Like you talked about your kids. I mean, do you well, drive them to school? You absolutely. Know? Yeah. I mean, Jane's Addiction and uh, all the bands I'm in mm -hmm. are four different, five different, six different people that have different record collections, yeah. different friends, yeah. different styles of the way they dress, 
you know, we read different things. We, we get turned on by different things at the museum yeah. and we see different films. And I think that's what makes a, an eclectic sounding band where sure. a folk song could be next to a metal song, could be next to a psychedelic song. So those dark things that you may think are, are somewhat, you know, uh, taboo were just as important as the bright things and, True. Good uh, and the point. happy things. Yeah. And yeah. I think we were very alert to all these feelings and some bands, you can tell they all have the same record collection. Mm -hmm. They all dress the same. Mm -hmm. And maybe song after song, it starts to sound the same. But Jane's and Porno, we really never had that. Yeah. We, we looked at each song and each poem and each production as a whole new fresh start. Yeah. And I think that is still there for me, mm -hmm. that I, I, I think of uh, End of the Lies was influenced by Jamaican drumming, even though we were playing hard rock music. Good and point. I was thinking like a Jamaican uh, reggae, jaw. That sounds like it, yeah. Dub, you know? Yeah, And yeah. so that that's still there, the curiosity of how to hybrid my love for African and Latin and jazz. And, you know, this this great African drummer, Baba Tundi Alatunji. Oh, sure, yeah. So if someone gives me a guitar riff, do I think what would Jay, you know, what would what would Bonham do? What yeah. would Phil Rudd do? Or what would Baba Tooney do with yeah. this riff, you know? Yes. And, and, and of course it all has to be a homegrown, my own version. Right. I can never, right. you know, growing up, I thought I could replicate my favorite drumming by, you know, Stuart Copeland or Neil Peart. Uh -huh. I realized I, I can't, I can imitate, uh -huh. but I'll never uh -huh. replicate. So then I started to embrace my own sound. So all that hasn't really changed is that, that chase to be original, yeah. to be, uh, sensitive to everybody who's playing the song great and the intent of what people should be feeling when they hear the song yeah you know and what's different is i i think we all have ego and i'm getting better and i've always been so interested in other people's ideas on the drum set what would you do how do you hear it why don't you sit on the kit and show me what you think because i'll never be able to play it like them anyways right i guess the being pliable and not breaking right you know and not letting yeah. my emotion break me or my ego and just kind of bend and flexibility be like yeah flexibility yeah. Like, you yeah. know gumby you yeah. know right. <laughs> so, and yeah. i think I, i'm just becoming more aware of that and the importance of it yeah. and how to get a better experience for everybody involved okay because everyone should be listening to each other yeah speaking I mean, I of flexibility you gotta stick to your guns if you got something you want to say sure absolutely but you know but it's okay to listen and also it's okay to change your size of your puzzle piece mm. so you can fit someone else very nice i like that forward you know yeah so speaking of flexibility going back to stories behind songs you know jane says is so unique largely for the steel drums that are in there
So again, going back to the creation of these classic masterpieces, was that always intended or was that a, was that a product of you guys, you know, doing what you do with the congas and the bongos and stuff around a fire? Or were you thinking, did Perry or someone say, you know what this song really needs? Steel drums. That's well, what's going to drive it home. There is the, the song itself was written with bongos and I used to play bongos sure. on the first live record, triple X. There's yep. a version just yep. me on bongos. But when we got to nothing shocking and we finally had a chance to uh, use the technology in the studio mm. and a, we're a great live band, let's play the songs, but what's the salt and pepper? What, yeah. can we use, what can we overdub? And there's pictures of my drum set from nothing shocking where I have timpanis and glockenspiel and xylophone and steel drum and yeah. all these different melodic instruments that were new to me, but always very interested in combining rhythm and melody. I've always wanted to. And so that was uh, just another way of looking at the song of adding this, this salt and pepper, uh, this new melody that is haunting. Cause I love the steel drum. It's hollow, it's glassy, but it's, it's, it's a positive, upbeat sound. It absolutely and, is. But it also yeah. is quite, it, it's cinematic. It places you somewhere. Yeah, it really does. that's and, it. Exactly. And so we were always looking for those cinematic moments. And, and they usually don't come out of a drummer. Hmm. They might come out of an overdub of a, a vocal harmony or a guitar, hmm. you know, with a cool pedal on it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to search. And I think as a, as a band, everyone was so open to these ideas of trying things and not everything that you try ends up in the mix, which is always cool because it's going through the process mm -hmm. of, of overdubbing and hanging out and having that day together of shaking stuff and, and trying ideas. But when you get to the mix, what works, what doesn't, mm -hmm. and you have to drop your ego because you think I did this great drum fill. It doesn't end up on the record. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it wasn't great. You know, it's just a decision you make and you maybe, right. you know, you have to realize the bigger picture. But I think the big picture for Jane's Addiction was, was presenting these cinematic, uh, these sonic cinematic moments to embrace the lyrics. It's it. And, the, it's and you it. know, with the lyrics, there's a lot of verses in that song. And the chorus is just really Jane says, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. The, the, it's hopeful, but it's, yes. quite, it's quite sad. Yeah, it's, so, you're right. It's sad content put to a hopeful uh, vibe or yeah. uh, mood. You're right. Exactly. Okay. And just and Jane's addiction and porno always loved surfing, hanging that at makes the sense. beach, yeah. and enjoying that that moment. My favorite time at the beach is like right before sunset. Yeah. It's not too hot, and everything is starting to kind of settle down, and, yeah. and you see this reflection off the water. And yeah. I think you hear that in the steel drum. You absolutely you know? do. You absolutely do. Okay. Then I got to ask about been caught stealing.
I have two questions about it. One, the driving force of that song, I think, is the drums and the percussion. That pocket sort of rhythm that you're that you're playing the whole time. So I want to know: one, was that looped, or did you play that yeah. in real time, keeping that that pocket going the entire time? And then, secondly, I want to know how your lives changed when suddenly you went from being this, you know, this incredibly appreciated, bubbling under not cult band, but alternative band that was suddenly getting played on pop radio. How mm. did your life change in that moment? Well, the drum beat was live. The band plays okay. it like that. And if you hear tapes of us on stage prior to Ritual, it sounded like that. That's what okay. we do. That's what I want. And to me, I look at that drum beat as uh, an oval shape going, or an egg going down a hill. Ooh, yeah. A ball, a ball goes down a hill, but so does the egg. Yes. The egg, the egg has got the hump. Got the thing. Yeah, and the hitch in it. You're yeah, right. So I always try to find that in my beats and leave people just on the cliff yes. for however long. Kind of like Tarzan letting go of one vine and he's in the air looking for another. You know he's going to catch it. Yeah. He's, he's, in the, he's in the middle of it. There's a hesitation all. there. Yeah. I love that. I never thought so of that. That was always my goal for that. And okay. I, did over, I overdubbed some bongos. And I think that week was the first time I went to a drum shop and bought a snare drum specifically for caught stealing because we were yeah. making the record, but I did. I wanted a piccolo snare. I wanted something very quick moving with not Got a it. lot of body. And so I went and bought myself a piccolo snare and that's, I used it on that track. So the first time I, I actually went and, you know, with nothing shocking in the live record, we didn't have much gear. We did a lot of renting, but we didn't own much. Yeah. And as we got to Ritual, I, I thought, I'm going to buy a snare drum. I mean, I just buy something that can be a, a memory and a postcard from the session right and on. be used in the session. Mm -hmm. and, and it'll make me play differently, which it did, mm -hmm. you know. And, and as far as the actual, uh, you know, the video and the, I guess the, the change, mm -hmm. uh, we always knew, you know, Warner Brothers was the perfect match for us because mm -hmm. they said, we're not going to change your artwork, your lyrics, your style. You produce the records. We want to show the world what it's like after hours in Los Angeles. Ooh, nice. We don't want to polish you or, or dull you. Just do your thing. And I think that's the freedom they gave us to do that really was their challenge too because they had Sire records under their umbrella. And Sire had the replacements, the Ramones, Good Pretenders. Point they had a marketing team that would actually fit Jane's addiction better than Warner brothers. True. But Warner brothers had a rise to the occasion, raised to the occasion to figure out what to do with us because they weren't putting us on sire mm -hmm. and Warner brothers had, you know, Doobie brothers and mm -hmm. Steely Dan and Van Morrison and great, great music, but sure. nothing quite as dark and dirty and as broken as Jane's addiction. Right. And so when they started to feel where they could push the buttons in radio or MTV or promoters around the world. You know, we started also to feel this confidence that we didn't belong anywhere, but we needed to be there to wake yeah. people up. 
That's and great. I, I never think about the influence musically that we did, but I think the spiritual influence is this, this fertile soil, this dirt that Jane's Addiction is, that the pumpkins and Pearl Jam and Nirvana were able to grow out of this soil. Yeah. You yeah. know, and when you pick a beautiful flower, you might not look at the dirt, but you yeah. need you need good dirt. And it's I true. think Jane's Addiction was good dirt. <laughs> yeah. Well, and go you know, the influence of Lollapalooza and Lollapalooza changed the game for what modern day, you know, festivals should be like. And you guys influenced that. I mean, that was all coming out of your vibe. This, uh, the idea, what you thought was enlightening and entertaining and meaningful and emotionally impactful ended up influencing the next, not just musically, but just how people come together at big concerts. That was Absolutely. you guys. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, our visits to England to see Glastonbury and Reading Festival and, mm-hmm. and in other countries, they had the Pukul Pop Festival and all these great massive festivals. And the music was so eclectic. And sometimes two or three days of festival out in Europe. Yeah. And there was something, like Jerry Garcia said, there's a, there, you don't see that many people together unless there's a battle, you know? Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and I think that that hook that we knew the music was getting to the point where Susie and the butthole surfers and Henry Rollins, living color, nine inch nails, Jane's ice tea. We can all go out together. And even though we don't sound like we belong together, we all had the same attitude and we were doing original music. And, you know, when Jane's addiction really started to turn the key around the world, someone could have a Love and Rockets re- uh, poster and a Metallica poster and a Jane's poster. I mean, that right. was the same fan. You're the bridge. You know? Yeah, there Brings was the bridge. That's you it, know? yeah. And if, if it wasn't, you could be cool to like The Cure and you could also be interested in Iron Maiden. What the hell? Why not? That's it. It's That's music, it. you know? Yeah, yeah. You bridge, you guys are the bridge between alternative rock and hard rock and the bridge between the 80s alternative and the 90s alternative mm. it all you have to walk across Jane's addiction to make <laughs> yeah, the connection exactly. between those two things okay let me ask you i got to ask you a couple of tougher questions when there is dysfunction in Jane's addiction what is usually at the root of that because my understanding or my assumption is that either a eric does or does not want to get involved which is fair enough for him and or b uh, there might be money. Like, for instance, Perry feels like he is entitled to more than everyone else. And you can, this is what I've read, so you can tell me I'm wrong or you can clarify, but when there is dysfunction, what's at the heart of the dysfunction? I think we need communication. Mm. We never need to wonder what the other guy's thinking and then wander down the wrong road mm-hmm. and then think that's what's happening. We need to talk to each other about what we want out of the band, what we want out of the, the record, the show. Yeah. It's not really about the zeros in the, in the bank account. Yeah. And it's not really about Eric, who, you know, was always, I think, not as, in a sense, obsessed mm-hmm. with Jane's addiction and the legacy of. You know, I I want this great band to change the world over and over, mm-hmm. not to put money in my bank, but to let people make love, not yeah. war, go home yeah. and, and, and be creative. Yeah. And so I, it's all about communication and we're better and better at it. We can talk to each other and tell, pe- tell each other what's on our minds. 
And it's, of course, you can't always agree on everything. It's impossible. But if you can get your word on the table and have a discussion about it yeah. and not bring in any past skeletons, like you said, not any, uh -huh. you know, don't have to bring all that stuff up. It's behind us. And now with this nightmare of COVID, you should really be able to wash all that away. Yeah. And say, how do we heal people with right. music and art and, and gatherings? And, you know, everyone has got their own opinion of what a great night is. You know, is it, is it this, that, the other? But the band is sometimes the focal point, but sometimes it's just the background of your yeah. night. And I love being on stage and seeing Perry interact with someone and the song starts to change. He skips a verse because he's, he's actually engaging with someone in the audience. Or Dave's feeling inspired and the guitar solo goes twice as long as it usually Dave's does. amazing. And we Dave's just look amazing. at each other and that communication so easy because there's a trust. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember those great moments when Dave's like, let's keep going. Yeah. I got you. If yeah. Perry's like, hold on, I'm going to say something. We bring mm -hmm. it down. There's this trust that we're not going to yeah. step on each other that kind of trust needs to go into every business meeting, right. every, every, you know, every choice that we're looking for to right. keep this, this band. So those things have to be reminded, like, we're so great on stage. Let's take what we know mm -hmm. where it's, it's, you don't even have to speak it, yeah. but let's, let's speak it. You know, right. let's, let's right. talk about these things. Good. Okay. Um, okay. A couple more questions before I let you go. One, I'm curious what it was like working with Bob Ezrin for mm. Strays. I mean, a Bob Ezrin, yeah. Bob Ezrin is a legend, and his albums sound fantastic. Yep. Sometimes, and this wasn't the case in yours, Bob Ezrin is the star of an album. You know, it's a <laughs> Bob Ezrin album. That's not going to happen to you, but I am curious what it was like working with Bob Ezrin because, you know, Just Because is a fantastic single. Yeah. That album's great, Strays. What was it like? Well, Just Because was the last song we wrote on that really? record and was the last song we recorded. So that no was the, that was the end of it all. But all this Bob, time, I assumed you guys came back because you had just because yeah. <laughs> in the in your pocket and thought this is good. We should build an no. album around. This. No. It's so really, interesting. Really, the very last thing we did for the record was that. And, okay. Uh, but the Porn for Pyros did a song with Bob about six months prior to Strays. And 
what a great time. I've met him a few times through the years and hung with him and always love asking him questions about Floyd and Kiss and Alice Cooper. The list goes on. But in the studio, you you have this great respect and on and trust with him. But also he wants to know what you guys are thinking, where you're coming from, and he wants to capture the noise that is Jane's addiction or porn for Pyros. He doesn't want to make it his. He wants to make it ours and somehow, you know, keep us in line together to get it done. Now with Jane's addiction, we weren't sure what we were if we're gonna write one song or ten songs. So he put us right into the studio, one of the great studios in LA. It's called Henson. It used to be A&M. Okay. And Henson Studios is just an amazing spot where great musicians are coming in and out all the time. And he said, you know what? Let's get room B, Studio B, and let's rent it for a year. Ooh. And let's not go to a rehearsal spot and work on tunes. Let's get in the studio and work on tunes because yeah. let's try to capture everything we can at top quality right. and be able to listen back and microscope and have conversations and not be afraid to examine each other's parts mm -hmm. and be open to him coming in and he had a piano in the room and coming in. And if we used his ideas or not, he would come in and go, I heard something and he'd show us something mm -hmm. and that could send us in a separate direction. Right. It could be like, that's crazy. That's not us. Mm -hmm. But he was great at, at not only producing a sound, but producing a, an environment of how we can, can all that. get along yeah. and get it done and what Dave likes at two in the afternoon and what I like at five and what Perry wants at midnight. And he was ultra aware <laughs> of all that, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, and then of course the stories and just like, let's take a break and talk about stuff and he'll yeah. show us and tell us these great things and, and the visitors that he has. Oh and man. When Alice, Coop, when Alice Cooper shows up out of the blue or Paul Stanley <laughs> Or these cats will call, you know, David Gilmore's on the phone. It's because Dave has, has, is a good, Dave, Dave Gilmore is a, a, a musician that wants to keep a friendship with Bob. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. let me reach out to Bob. Wow. So all that was, that was, you know, really inspiring the whole time. And, mm -hmm. and if you ever felt like you wasn't listening, if Bob wasn't listening, you could tell him, hey, Bob, this is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe ha let's have a sit down and talk about how we can get to that together. Yeah, yeah. And Bob, one of the great things I always tell people when we were mixing with Bob, when you sit down to your mix and you hear the song, everyone has the urge to talk about their own instrument. Mm. He'll say, what did you think? Oh, this about myself and, and mm -hmm. uh, the vote. He said, when you guys listen to the mix today, no comments, unless you have comments about the other player. So let's hear the song. Anybody, Perkins, do you have any ideas of, about the guitar? Oh, I thought the guitar was great. Yeah. Navarro, what do you think about the drums? The drums are great. <laughs> so he didn't want to know what I thought about the drums or what Dave thought about the guitar. He wanted to know what we thought about each other's performances yeah. and, and balances and where they showed right. up in the mix volume-wise. Wow. And it was great to make us, like you said earlier, listen. Yes. Get out of your skin for a minute. That is and listen so to the interesting. Other okay. So he, was, he was great at, like, showing this these all these really great clues and and paths yeah to 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 find our potential and blow the yeah. dust off anything that might kind of cloud it so conversely what then was it like bringing in dave Sytek from tv on the radio mm. for the fourth album because his sound is so i mean they have such a specific sound and i almost feel like you can hear a dave Sytek influenced album or song when you 
you know it when you hear it because he just has such an incredible palette, sound palette in his mind. And he brought that to that album, which I think is so good. We didn't know that it would blow up with such might. The stars are even brighter. We just said bye tonight. Sent out the shock. What was the decision behind deciding to work with him? Well, we were hanging out with Rich Costi, the producer. Okay. And we all love TV on the radio. We didn't know Dave. Okay. And me and Navarro were thinking, well, what's the first step? And Costi said, well, why don't you spend a week with Dave? You know, Dave. Sitek. Is it Sitek or yeah. Sitek? Okay, Sitek. I wasn't sure. Okay, that's right. And 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 me and Navarro. So it was me and the two Daves. And we moved into SIR, which is a studio, rehearsal studio here in LA. And Sitek showed up with basses, guitars, keyboards, turntables, synthesizers. And it just became this creative experience to find each other and not kind of write a Jane song or write any type of song, just explore the, the tonal qualities of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And he okay. was really ultra alert of what me and Dave do because he knows the, our past and he knows mm-hmm. how we play. But he also stuck to his guns and yeah. said, you know, these are the tones that I'm into. There's mm-hmm. here. Here's a cool beat I'm working on with as on the turntables mm-hmm. and very um, influential in the sense that he would listen. But he'd also, you know, give us his opinion. Mm-hmm. And we were very fortunate to have the time to stretch out. And I think we spent a month or two nice. without Perry, just exploring wow, the musical really? space of each other okay. and finding huh. a, a sound mm-hmm. and then started to send stuff to Perry and Perry sending stuff us, you know, back and forth and finding yeah. out maybe what turns him on out of the 20 pieces we wrote. He got turned on by 10 of them. Cool. Mm-hmm. So we'll put the other ones aside for now and, and, and see if we can kind of stir these up in the pot and make a stew. Uh, and and he was uh, about like you said, sometimes a, a capturing a performance, yes, but capturing a tone. Yes, a sound. that's it. That's what he's and, good at. Yes, and, that's and it. once your drums has a sound, you're gonna play it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, oh, that's where that's what it sounds like. Cool. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm gonna try to approach that as a drummer now to hear where I it's like coming it. From. Okay, yeah. okay. One more question. You, Jane's has so many. They have so many great covers in your canon, my favorite of which is probably Ripple. And if my words did 
And I'm curious, when you guys go into a, a cover, what makes you decide what you're going to play? Is it a song that you think you can improve or make different? Or is it a song that you like, you're trying to turn people on to? What's the, what's the philosophy behind covers? And if you want to talk about Ripple specifically, please do, because I love that song. Absolutely. Well, Ripple was the last song we ever did with Eric Avery. Uh, we did it in England at the Kink studio, Ray and, and Dave Davies let us use their studio. Uh-huh. So those two little elements there, which are just a great memory for me, you know, obviously bittersweet, the last thing we did with Eric, but it was a great recording. Now my brother who passed on the same week, the first porno record came out oh. and he sang on pets with us. So I can still hear his voice when I hear the song, but oh, wow. It was my brother's idea for Ripple. He was a huge deadhead. And we were thinking about tunes to do. And he suggested Ripple. And he made a, a, a mixtape of 10 different versions of the dead doing it and gave it to all the band members. So we all knew the song. We we're all deadheads. We all went to dead shows together. But it was cool to get all these different versions of the dead doing it. And yeah, we thought how to make it our own. How to, uh, you can't improve and make it better than the dead and yeah. you you can't just you know try to replicate their version so what what do we bring and i i thought tribal drums navarro thought some melodic guitar parts and, and perry was kind of embracing the elvis presley <laughs> <laughs> and he yes. had a little of this so he threw a little tongue-in-cheek a little sense of humor yeah. into it yeah. and then at the end of the tune we started hybriding other dead songs the oh, other one right and yeah. other things and and so it became, you know, this, uh, this chase to find something new, fresh, make it our own, and always in the back of our mind to please the band, the Grateful yeah. Dead. And when the record came out, Jerry Garcia did a, a Rolling Stone interview. My brother called me, jumping out of his skin. What's up? He's like, you're not going to believe it. They asked Jerry what he thought about the dedicated record, and he thought, the Los Lobos did a great song. Susan Vega did something, but the highlight was Jane's Addiction. No way. And, and my brother, like, you know, it was his idea for us to do Ripple. Yes. There's Jerry, one of his heroes, talking about us. Yes. And then later in the interview, they asked Jerry, what about the music of the late 80s, early 90s? Any thoughts? He said, there's some good bands, but I'm into Jane's Addiction. No and way. So, there's Jerry Garcia <laughs> mentioned us twice. Wow. wow. Since then, I've played with the drummers billy and mickey several times i played with bobby weir twice wow. and i played with phil lesh once so i've had my 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 little portion of being yeah. part of the dead family and it's yeah. just wonderful and a great bass player rob wasserman who passed on yeah. was bob weir's bass player for rat dog and uh i ended up playing uh wasserman's wedding Bob Weir was the guitar player. I was the drummer for the wedding party. No way. And, you know, it all comes full circle to love the music, yeah. to make them happy by the way you played it and interpreted yeah. it. And for my brother, the biggest deadhead, to know that he That's got amazing. a chance. Now, my mom's birthday was August 9th, and that's the day Jerry Garcia died. Ooh, so, I didn't think about that. Yeah. So there was this moment where all my brother's friends, after my brother passed, they said, oh, Jerry's dead now, and he's with Mark, my brother. Yeah. And my mom's like, you're not going to believe it. It's my birthday. So all these phone calls were coming in from my brother's okay. friends, yeah. unbeknownst to her, them, that it was her birthday. So yeah. it all kind of 
in a spiritual sense, you know. It's, that makes sense. It's it cosmic makes, it's, that yeah, way, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's a soup. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, one more collaboration. Well, there's been a million of them, which I wanted to ask you about. But one in particular I'll ask about is that I'm also a big Peter Murphy fan, and you play on his Unshattered album, which is so good. I've been running too slow. I use so much time. Now I'm working to grow. Don't regret our ties. This endless flow. You take these fears when you say they go. Your touch comes Your shining calm. So what is blood spills? You're my light, my bomb. Your forest a dream. Where screams melt to bliss. Where love has its book. Your name written on it. I'm asking your giving. And I just wondered, how did that come to be? What was it like playing with Peter Murphy? What's your favorite thing about playing with Peter Murphy? Well, you know, Love and Rockets, Peter yeah. Murphy, and Bauhaus That's are very important to me. I got married at the drummer's house, Kevin. Really? And um, I've been very fortunate to be part of their world. Yeah. My favorite story about Peter Murphy, this is no joke. We were okay. all doing a big soccer match. They call it football. And I was the goalie, and here comes Peter Murphy coming to try to get a goal on me. And, I mean, you know. I, That's mind-blowing. Yeah, I wanted to be the best goalie I can be, but I didn't want to block Peter Murphy's, you know. It's his attempt, which I did do a great job. But uh, so Peter, and I remember Jane's Addiction opened for Peter Murphy in 1986. That's when I first met him. This is okay actually before playing with love and rockets we did about 40 shows with love and rockets i okay. think we did two or three opening for murph uh, but um he is a solid artist yeah it's art through and through yeah, yeah. and and you know my i guess hyper bubbly perky personality uh -huh. right you know so sometimes would seem it doesn't fit with murph uh -huh. but he did he, he liked my energy and i loved his and that's how that, that friendship okay. and that musical connection started. Okay. And, you know, Danny Ash, the guitar player from Love and Rockets and Bauhaus is, is such a, he's like a, he's like a movie maker on guitar. It's yeah. just, it's, it's cinema. Yeah. That's and, it. You know, everybody in the band is always surprising me with their parts and their, their technique is there, but they never show it. They just yeah. play these great parts. Right. 
and and of course to embrace the lyrics and the darkness that Murph stands for, uh-huh. and but then to see him come at me with a soccer ball, that's, you know, <laughs> that's mind blowing. <laughs> it's definitely different, and I've got some great stories like that about Lou Reed and Ozzy and Mick Jagger and all these things you think about them, but when you play music with them, uh-huh. something else happens, and you have a. And hopefully it's it's something that they feel too. But something that I feel is that I, I break down that image I have and I start yeah. to get to know them. Yeah. And that's, that's what's that's cool. That's got to be amazing. Okay, yeah. last question then. Tell me, you, you just said you have these stories. Tell me your favorite story. What's the story <laughs> that Stephen Perkins dines out on? If it, Assuming you can tell it, what's the one where you're like, you will not believe whatever it is? Well, I've, I've, let's see. I've had some great times. Um, yeah. This is a funny one. Infectious okay. grooves, yeah. Uh, suicidal open up for Jane's a bunch at the end, and I started hanging out with Dave and Mike. I mean, excuse me, with Rob and Mike, the bass player. Mm-hmm. And they said they were working on Infectious Grooves record, so I ended up doing tracks on the record. And Rob and Mike showed up to the last Jane show in Hawaii, and I was heartbroken. My band just broke up, and I got off stage, and they said Infectious Grooves just got a tour with Ozzy. Would you like to come? Oh, this is a perfect way to feel and break this, yeah. to, fi- to fix this broken heart. Yeah, so within absolutely. two hours after Jane's broke up, I was planning a tour with Infectious Grooves no on the Aussie tour. And, and what was great also about that tour is the bass player, Mike Inez, who is now in Allison Chains. Mm-hmm. The guitar player was Zach, who's just one of the greats. Of and the drummer who passed on, Randy Castillo, one of the coolest drummers. And he moved yeah. on through cancer, got him. So I got to know these new, these new musicians and, and it was a, a world of heavy metal, even though Infectious Grooves was this hybrid of, mm-hmm. of rock and funk and, and hip hop, the tour was full of heavy metal fans. So I got a chance to meet and hang out with a whole new crowd. But um, it was a theater tour. So we played this beautiful theater and I had my long curls. Uh-huh. <laughs> Infectious Grooves gets off stage and um, I found out the shower was on the third floor. So I took an elevator up to the shower and after my shower, I had my hair up in a towel and a towel around my waist, like a skirt. Uh-huh. I get back in the elevator and it's just me and Ozzy. <laughs> and the door closes and I'm in my towel. And he goes, who the hell are you? <laughs> and I, I, take out, I take out my hair. I'm like, I'm the drummer for Infectious Grooves, the opening act. And he goes, are you a gift? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just trying to get to the next level and get my clothes back. <sighs> and as the doors open, uh, they're already on stage, the other three Aussie members, and he grabs his mic and he goes, see you later. And so the last thing he saw before he got on stage was me and my towel. And um, I think I gave him a little, uh, you know, a little thrill. But, you oh, know, that's that, the best. That is like the that, best. You know, to, to see Ozzy give it yeah. to the audience night after night was great. Yeah. But to have that one-on-one in the elevator, yeah, that was just me and him. That's it. That's oh, my gosh. Oh, it's the best. Uh, Steven, thank you for talking with me, man. I love you guys so much. And uh, I've been dying to do this for years. I'm yeah, so glad yeah. we made it. You guys mean a lot to me and a lot to millions of other people. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. All right. There you have it, Stephen Perkins. I feel like we had to close it out with pets, right? Especially after he was telling that story about his brother who sang on this and then passed away. Oh, my gosh. It's been that kind of a couple of weeks. Anyway, thanks again, Stephen. This was so great. And thanks again, Brian, for helping us out. And go check out if you haven't listened to Jane's for a while. By the way, the great escape artist, so good. I don't know how many of you out there have checked that album out, but it's great. 
So next week, we are talking to a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, a uh, guitarist of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band. So that one's going to be pretty huge. And I'm excited because they have some new music to talk about, too. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for putting everything together and for being my friend. The Makeviches have been very, very close friends with the Lamoureux for 30 years now. We keep tabs on each other, so I'm grateful for their friendship, especially now. And you guys know how to find us. You can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, again, thanks to everybody, and be good to each other, and be sure that you stay safe. Be sure that you take masks and everything else seriously. My dad was taking everything very seriously, and it still happened. So do your best, and uh, be kind to each other, all right? Thanks, everyone.